Well, that was a good description of what the Bible had been saying for quite a while before Christ came into the world. And did you know that there was a period of time between the last prophet and uh, the entrance of Jesus uh, into our world through, um, through, through his uh, very humble birth of about 400 years where it was just a period of silence where people were wondering, does God have a word for us? And no one seemed to have um, anything to say. There were no prophets. There were no spokesmen. There were just a lot of people drawing from the story as uh, it was understood by people in the past. And then that period was actually a, uh, a way of, of, of capturing the attention of the people that were not paying attention to God in the ways that God had hoped. It was a way of helping them to see how dark it could actually get. And as uh, the darkness overshadowed the land in political chaos, social chaos, Roman um, occupation, all of those things made people question whether or not God was even interested in being a part of his people anymore. And so it's hard for us to really wrap our minds around that sense of anticipation, hope, despair, all of those things bundled up into one until we see just how dramatically the presence of Christ coming into the world impacted everything. It was a game changer for sure. Now, if you're like me, um, if you've ever had one of those seasons where you're wondering, God, where are you at? Why am I going through such a difficult time? And maybe you've prayed, maybe you've even fasted, or you've tried to do the right things to please God. Maybe you've bargained, but you're like, still I'm not getting anything that tells me God is interested in helping me out. But here's what I've always seen, and I think it's pretty consistent, is that God does show up, and it's usually at just the right time. And sometimes it's at 11.59 before the clock strikes 12, and that sense of delay causes us, I think, to be in that state of expectation. And what God was doing for his people is something I think he may be doing for us. He's trying to help them to come to their senses so that the things that he wants to reveal to them will be deeply appreciated. And as I'm going through this series, The Christmas Carol, and I'm thinking about how God has been working in this story and how God's been working in his story and how the two come together and how hopefully he's working in, in your story as he's been working in mine. The one thing that I see is that God is using a variety of things both in the Bible and outside of the Bible and seasonally relative to Christmas to bring our attention to something that has been there the whole time but maybe we haven't appreciated like we need to. And that really is um, Christmas presence. Now, you can say that word in, in two ways. You can say it like P-R-E-S-E-N-T, or you can say it as in P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, where you are 
present with somebody in a way that brings a richness to the occasion that nothing else could. And for God to come into our world in the form of one of us, it was taking a present and transforming it into the very presence of himself in our midst. But if you're like me, for many, many years, I've been celebrating Christmas and Christmas Eve services, all of which I enjoy. But like anything, if you do it so many times, you tend to not even see it anymore. Did you know that psychologists have said that if we do something about 10 times, it starts to lose its significance. The sense of imagination that's tied to that experience is kind of gone and the experience is just sort of a rote activity. And I think a lot of times when we gather for worship, we are, we're vulnerable to not see the significance of what is happening in this room every Sunday. Part of my job is to help you to be reminded of that presence that's here in our midst. But when it comes to Christmas specifically, I think God has a lot more work that he's doing in your life and mine. I, I think Christmas is one of those seasons as it begins with Advent and it concludes with the Christmas uh, celebration. It's a season where our emotions are, are very high. We're very happy. We can be very sad. Uh, it, it is just everything that is like normal, only more so in every way. And I believe that God takes us through, through, the, through the valleys and up on the mountains to give us a sense of, of maybe, maybe how significant this occasion is. And if you're like me, I've been in, in, in pretty dark places in this season, and I've in grief, and I've been in this season with tremendous joy. When John the Baptist came and represented God's purposes in that short period of time that he was called to minister, the thing that he was called to do was to take... Take the, take the hills and lower them down and take the valleys and raise them up so that he can make a straight path for the Lord. The whole idea was so that when the Lord came, things would be in order in such a way that we would be able to receive him. And for you and I, as we gather, it could just be business as usual. It could be Christmas as usual. Or it could be that God is working in your life during this season. To take the hills and, and lower them down and take the valleys and raise them up. So that Jesus in this season can become even more real than he typically is in the course of the remainder of, uh, of the year. As we look at the Christmas story from the lens of Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol. He's bringing out some things about you and I that God says we, need, we have some work to do here. You're not seeing what you need to see. Perhaps you've taken your feelings and you've pushed them down because they're too painful. Perhaps you've gotten into the habit of ignoring other people. Maybe you've forgotten what generosity means. And there may be a whole host of layers in your life and mine that God's saying, this is a good season to go to work. And so if you're feeling more despair or more joy in this season... Don't lose heart because God is doing something in this season in all of our lives that's helping us to come close to him. Now, 
in the storyline of A Christmas Carol, there is a main character. And I think we all know who he is, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer meaning the rock of the stone of my help. It's an image from the Old Testament. It's a beautiful image of God's help. But Scrooge means that person who has to, has to squeeze something like the last dollar out of a, out of a transaction. And he's sort of a mixture of deep inside wanting to do the right thing, but also being painfully burdened with memories that he's never been able to move past. And yet the name Ebenezer itself is a reminder that though Ebenezer could not help himself, God decided he would send certain emissaries into his world to give him a vision for things that have been, things that are, and things that could potentially be if you stay on the course that you're on. All so that we could come to our senses. Now I want to show just a brief clip of Christmas present. If you're familiar with the, the, the Dickens story and this character, it'll resonate really well. If not, hopefully I can draw some stuff out of it. Because my goal here in this message is to help us to become aware of the things that God wants us to become aware during the Christmas season of 2017. To help us come to our senses. So let's look at this story and then we'll look deeper at a few other stories. Christmas to us all. A Merry Christmas And God bless us, everyone. Tell me, Spirit, will he live? I see a vacant place at this table. I see a crutch without an owner. Carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, say you'll be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. My own words against me. So perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. It may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. human race. Look here, beneath my robe. Look upon these. What are they? They are your children. They are the children of all who walk the earth unseen. Ignorance and want. Beware of them. For upon their brow 
is written the word doom. They spell the downfall of you and all who deny their existence. No refuge, no resource. Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? I do not wish to see them. I thought as much. They are hidden. But they live. Oh, they live. I don't know how familiar you are with that scene and the scene prior to it. But in the storyline, God is... Is um, if you want to if you want to preface it that way from from Dickens' point of view, <clears throat> using the three ghosts of past, present, and future Christmas to give a, a sense of, of of how things really are in a world that Ebenezer Scrooge has insulated himself from, and in some ways. I think God is trying to peel back the veil a little bit for us as well. Not only through this story, but through our own lives. And as I'm looking at this experience, I'm asking the question, what is it about Ebenezer Scrooge's heart that is so disturbing? And I think if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that he is a fellow who some people would describe as... As a, as a rich man who has suppressed his feelings. But the fact of the matter is, he's just a poor man who happens to have a lot of money from God's point of view. And the real lack isn't in the material wealth and the provisions that he said were so scarce and he would even give up his nuptials to try to pursue them because... It's such a frightening world whenever we don't have the things that we need and we live in fear that we can never get enough. <clears throat> and you and I live in that world. And yet we gather every Sunday and we pray a prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It's a simple act of trust that what we need God will provide. And it's an echo all the way back to the time of the wilderness when Moses led God's people up through the desert and the only thing that they had in the scarcity of that experience was God. And God was the only one who could offer what they needed to sustain their lives. And it's never changed. But for some of us, we have maybe become poor people, maybe with a lot of money because we live in fear. Maybe we live in fear of, of, of poverty when we think about people who have to go through that. Maybe we live in fear that God isn't trustworthy. Maybe our, our issues run a little bit deeper. As Ebenezer Scrooge has looked at through the lens of a poor person with a lot of wealth, we may ask, why? Why, why, do, why do we see him that way? And it's really this, the condition of his soul that is the primary concern. Just like it is with God and you and I. How we, in our inner state, where we're at as far as our, who we are when we're alone in our relationship with him, is the biggest concern. Now when God looks at you and I, I want you to know something. He sees us 
through the eyes of love that is indescribable and compassion that uh, we can't even begin to comprehend. And the reason he looks at you and I and characters like that is because we could be so much better if we could trust him and live a life in relationship with him. And while we're here on earth, God will never stop trying to bring us closer to himself. But because he's given you and I free will, he's never going to override that. He's just going to let our lives play out, giving us reminders along the way that if we stay on the path that we're on, it's only going to get worse. But if we turn back to him, the biblical word repent, then perhaps it could be a new day. Now, in the story that we just saw, there were, there were two scenes that involved children. And the first one, if you recall, is Tiny Tim, who, because of the lack of resources that his family had, probably wouldn't be on earth much longer. And the other, on the other side of his vision, which is much darker, is Christmas presents revealing what happens to children in a society when they're neglected by a society. They have no education, and they have nothing to equip them for life, and they, have the, the, they, they don't have the resources to even sustain themselves. And in, the, and in the world that Charles Dickens was writing in, his concern was because of the Industrial Revolution that was taking effect, there seemed to be a lot of indifference happening to other people who were not so well off. So when God looks at your heart and mind, he sees us in our spiritual poverty, but he also sees that when we are made rich in him, what we can do for other people. And, and, and that's what I want to draw us into in Christmas presents. When God was trying to show us through his son Jesus what his heart was truly like, John, John in the beginning of his gospel said that um, in, in him, in, in Jesus, uh, we see the very face of God. And if you jump over to Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story that describes how God plays out his love for us through the imagery of a father and a son. So let's go there for a second. And in it we read, And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, he, a severe famine arose in, the, in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, when he came to an awareness that, you know what, I've really messed my life up by being so selfish, by being so tunnel vision in my view of life, and now I'm reaping the consequence of squandering my inheritance, of basically imperiling my well-being and I am completely helpless and hopeless. 
and he finally comes to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Or this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found, and they began to celebrate. And if you ever wondered what the heart of God was, was like, whether or not God was sort of that man upstairs who was waiting for us to step out of line so he could punish us, whether he was just waiting to dangle us over the fires of hell and, and, and watch us burn forever in torment, some of us have that imagery of God that is very fearful. But the imagery that God wants us to have is, is that of love. And the flames of hell that he sees licking at our feet oftentimes are described by Jesus as self-inflicted flames. <clears throat> the self-inflicted effect of our own selfishness, of our own indifference to other people, of our own, our own religious judgmentalism sometimes, the selfishness that says, um, I, I'm going to exploit other people, or perhaps I'm going to condescend, uh, look condescending down to people who are just a station below me in life. And on and on it goes. And when we do those things, we're hardening our heart towards God and towards other people. And the ghost of Christmas present, I think, wanted Ebenezer Scrooge to think about the things he had been saying about other people as objects, as people to be discounted, as people that perhaps didn't even deserve to live. And then look at the life of a young boy who with the resources that only Ebenezer Scrooge could provide, could grow and thrive and reach his potential because God had gifted Ebenezer with the ability to help him out. And the awareness struck him very vividly, we read in the story later on, that his coming to himself, coming to his senses, brought him to a place where the only thing he could really think about was how this boy, without the influence of his own life upon him, would never make it. And there was a hardness in his heart that softened to a place where the very love that God has for us began to flow through his life to this young person. And at the other side of that clip that we saw, when you see Christmas reveal two children want and ignorance it's a way of saying that when you remain in callous indifference when you remain in self selfishness when you remain in that place where you could really care less about other people 
Other people are affected. And zooming into your life and mine, we're busy people. We have a lot of obligations, responsibilities. We have a news cycle that continually reminds us of what a, a fearful world it is that we live in and all of the dangers that could potentially go wrong at any moment. We have so many things in our lives that press in and try to take our attention away from the things that truly matter. What are the things that truly matter? Not presence in the terms of an object we give to somebody, but rather presence in terms of who we can be for one another. The two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as I've said those two things, you're like, yeah, I, I get that. I've heard that before. But have you ever thought about the three parties that are involved in that statement? Loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving yourself. Part of loving ourselves is paying attention to our souls and making sure that they're in a good place. In our highly distractible world, we don't think much about our souls, do we? But when we come into a place like this, we become acutely aware that the state of our souls has a light shined upon it by God himself in an environment like this. And what God is trying to do every Sunday morning and every other opportunity that he has for you and I is to help us come to our senses that maybe our souls aren't where they need to be. Maybe our souls need healing. Perhaps like Ebenezer Scrooge, our soul is wounded from something that happened a long time ago. And we're not moving forward because we're stuck there. Maybe as we're gathering in this room, our, our soul's a little wounded because somebody we were close to, we're no longer as close as we once were. Maybe in this room, we gather and our souls are wounded because God let us down. God should have answered that prayer the way I wanted that prayer to be answered. Maybe our souls are wounded because we've done something we know was clearly wrong affected other people in such a way that we'll have to be haunted by that the rest of our lives. Did you know that the loving Heavenly Father isn't in the business of crushing your soul that's already burdened with these things? But our loving Heavenly Father is in the business of healing every part of that soul so that we can be the people that we are called to be. I suppose Ebenezer Scrooge probably never thought much about his soul because he was so distracted by money. But the visions that he had gave him an opportunity to see that his soul was pretty impoverished. But it also gave him an opportunity to do something that the Bible says we all have to do. And that is repent. Turn away from old ways 
to begin to think about new ways. And that's part of loving ourselves. Loving our neighbor means that we now have the capacity to love other people because we've attended to what we needed to attend to. We've got our soul in a good place. God's grace has made that possible. The son is looking at the father and he's saying, I'm just going to be a hireling from this point on. I'll make a deal with him and I'll find some security and then it'll be good. But the father looked at the son and he said, oh no, I've got so much more mind for you. I, 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 now that you've come to your senses, I can now resume the process of drawing out your potential so that you can become the human being that you're supposed to be. When God heals our soul, it means that he's pulling us back in. He's looking at our needs and he's providing them. If our need is we need forgiveness, there is a bloodstained cross that says, my child, you are forgiven. If our soul needs reconciliation, there is a bloodstained cross that says, I have died so that a bridge between yourself and God could be made. And I've also died so that out of that empty tomb would emerge a new humanity where reconciliation could begin to happen. And God says, I not only can heal your soul through the cross, I not only can heal your relationships through the cross, but I can empower your life and those vital connections that you have with other people with the great love that the cross shows by demonstrating truly how much I do love you and I do love all people. And then loving God as ourselves. Do you know why God says to, or, or love, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, do you know why God says that? It's not that we're trying to conjure up something but he's saying the closer that you get to God, the more he begins to rub off on you. And the more you have that ability to do those things that you can't otherwise do. We don't have the capacity to do ourselves. And it's called grace. It's called the presence of God in our lives. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When Ebenezer Scrooge is looking at the family of Bob Cratchit, he sees a poor man who is very rich relationally. And he sees that he has something that he's never been able to enjoy. He sees a community of people who are laughing and singing and carrying on. And the food that they're eating is not so great and not so plentiful, but for some reason, they get it. And when God sent his son into the world, after 400 years of darkness, because people weren't getting it, and when the son came and started to show what it was, people started to tune in. In the history of the church, the first couple hundred years, they actually didn't celebrate Christmas like, like 
like the church later began to. They didn't even talk much about the birth narratives of Jesus because many of the people were Gentiles and the whole idea of man and God being one was hard for them to wrap their minds around. And there are other forces at work that were saying, no, Jesus, he was a con man. The Jewish people actually came up with a narrative that said that there was a Roman soldier named Panthera who happened to sleep with the wife of a man named Joseph and they produced an illegitimate child. And that narrative was starting to kind of get around. So much so that one of the, one of the Roman writers, Celsus in 180, said, yeah, those Christians, they're bothersome because they're completely upending all of our social conventions. And they're destroying the empire. And he carried on with this, this imagery. And they say that after that, there were several accounts of the birth narratives that came up beyond Luke and Matthew in other writings. And then finally, Origen, who was a great church father, said, no, we've got to put that one to rest. And he did. And essentially what that is all about is no matter how much God loves you and I, no, how much, no matter how much God demonstrates his love for you and I, there is always resistance. And it begins here and it continues out there. Because there is a force of darkness at work in the world that only the cross of Christ can overcome. And it's a force of darkness that is at work truly. And its whole aim is to separate us from God, to separate us from one another, and to separate us even from ourselves so that we're divided people. The writer Isaiah says, the people wandering in darkness have seen a great light. And the Gospel of John says, Jesus came and he was the light, but the darkness couldn't comprehend it. When God looks at you and I, he sees us caught up in this, in this battle between the darkness that is in us, the darkness that is in the world, its power to keep us distant from God, and a wonderful gospel that says there's a better way. There's a story that came out in 1844 that said there's a better way. And today there's a story that we're just bringing to the surface again saying to each of you there is a better way. And my hope is and my prayer has been that we would all come to our senses and see that better way Get our souls in a healthy place through that better way. And then begin to live out that better way. As God's Christmas presence. The people around us. Well this is the third part of a single sermon. That I'm laying before you. And the process that God is working in your heart and mind. So I'm going to end with a word of prayer for each of you and then we're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation. You're welcome to come forward and say I'm ready to be a part 
of the light. I'm ready to have my soul healed. I'm ready to be made whole. I'm ready to begin to love my neighbor as myself. I'm ready to come closer to God. And all of those things, God is saying, I am orchestrating that today and through these days as we lift up his son in worship. Would you bow with me? Father, we are thankful that we can call you our Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that as you came, you not only were an infant in all the vulnerability that that represents, but you, through the cross and the empty tomb, became the Savior, the Redeemer, the Justifier, the Sanctifier, the one who in every way provides everything that we need to come to our senses and be made whole again. And Holy Spirit, thank you for that enabling presence of God that gives life and breath and also enables us to be who we could not be without you. Lord, you sent the Son of God to become a Son of Man so that the Son of Man could make each of us sons of God and daughters of God. And we thank you, Father, that that progression of your experience with us leads us to a place where we become truly who we are called to be. We thank you for a son who, in all the vulnerability of his humanity, that I've come to do the Father's will, so that the love of the Father who is looking over the horizon could be poured out, and all men would be drawn unto me. I pray that... Each of us in this room would be drawn to you as we celebrate this season together, as we come to our senses together, and as we make you Lord and Savior together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.